I'm so grateful for the discipleship we have heard and seen and experienced this morning, even baptizing this beautiful child and hearing how you all even came to the church through an invitation. I want to thank you for being faithful, the faithful presence of love in all the places that we go. Mike Breen is an English pastor, author, entrepreneur, came to Christ during his teenage years. He felt a call to ministry, and so he went to seminary, got ordained, dabbled in youth ministry, served as an associate pastor, and began working on postgraduate studies. And all the while, God is cultivating for him, in him, this heart for discipleship, and yet he saw very little fruit, and that was frustrating to him. He was married. He and his wife had a child who was just starting to walk. And so Mike thought, let me clear out the underbrush so that my child has a place to play. And as he was doing that, he noticed two fire out mounds that he thought, I better deal with them. And so he remembered his days growing up, how his dad would douse those fire ants, the ant hills, with gasoline, and he's doing that, thinking to himself, if gas is good, fire is even better. And he's pouring gas on these ant mounds, and he goes to get the matches, and he strikes the match, and in an instant, combustion. Not only are these ant mounds on fire, but the grass around him is on fire, and his clothes even caught fire. He sees this trail going of fire going to the gas can. He thought, I better stop that. He runs to it, picks it up. It's already on fire, and it's too hot to the touch. And so he throws it, a fire ball in the air, thinks of the public service announcement as he's growing up. When you encounter fire, if you experience it, stop, drop, and roll. There's no place to drop. And so he starts to take off his pants, kicks his shoes, projectiles themselves, and yells at the top of his lungs, Lord, help me. And in an instant, the fire is out on the grass, his clothes, his neighbor's yard even. The only thing left for Mike Breen to do is go inside and drink a cup of tea. And so he does. And as the kettle is starting to boil, his wife comes in and she asks, what's that smell? That terrible burning smell. And he tells her what had happened. And she says, let me see your legs. And so this time he takes his pants off for real. And there are folds of skin just hanging there off of his legs. He'd been in shock up until that point in time, went to the hospital where three days turned into three weeks, turned into three months, talking third-degree burns. He was in ICU where became infected and caught sepsis, legs being scraped, skin graft put on, turned at a 45-degree angle in isolation, his own private, personal wilderness where he starts having a conversation there, just him and God, and he says, really? Is this all there is to ministry? Frustrated, fruitless. Really, Lord? I thought there would be so much more. And in that space, he heard the Lord speak saying, let me do it.
Let me do it. And that was a point of surrender for Mike Breen. The scripture that we read earlier is a story of Jesus in the wilderness. And here's the thing about that story. Jesus was in the wilderness alone. No one was with him to capture any part of it. Nobody saw it. Nobody's writing things down. The only way his disciples would have known anything about Jesus' experience in the wilderness is if Jesus had told them about this experience. There was meaning in that experience for Jesus. What it meant for him to be the son of God and how he would deal with temptation in so being. There was a clear call and purpose on his life. And as he launched his public ministry, there was opposition. And the beauty of all of that is there's also meaning in this text for our own lives. That's the beauty and wonder of Scripture. What's relevant for Jesus and for the other characters in Scripture There's relevance for us in our lives, meaning in the text for our own lives. Jesus is setting us an example with respect to our own call and purpose, what it means for us to be sons and daughters of God, and how we handle our own confrontations with the enemy. During this season of Lent, we're going to spend a lot of time in this text, Luke chapter 4, 1 through 14, going long and deep with Jesus in the wilderness because the enemy is real. And we see in verse two, almost right out of the gate, the enemy has a name, the devil, whose purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. And sometimes it is a mighty great onslaught, and sometimes it feels like death by a thousand paper cuts. Satan just pestering us, wearing us down. But there is hope. This morning, I want to frame out Jesus in the wilderness and set our trajectory for where we are going. And I want to do that by answering three questions. What's the story of Jesus in the wilderness all about? What happens in the wilderness What happens after the wilderness? So let's frame out this story and set our course for the season of Lent. What's this story of Jesus in the wilderness about? First and foremost, it's about calling. This scene in the wilderness takes place between two other scenes, two other experiences that Jesus had, and these bookends frame out Jesus' experience in the wilderness and really the whole of Jesus' life and ministry, the whole of Scripture. Immediately preceding Jesus in the wilderness is his baptism, where his identity was shored up as God's beloved son. And some of you need to hear that this morning. Before Jesus preached any sermon performed any miracle or healed anybody, he was baptized and God spoke, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We can't earn, you can't earn God's love. We just receive it. If nothing else this morning, I hope that you receive the love of God because it is very real 
and tangible and it changes everything. Immediately following Jesus in the wilderness is the launch of Jesus's public ministry. Empowered by the Spirit, there in the synagogue, Jesus took authority and he proclaimed Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim this is the year of the Lord's favor. And shortly after reading that, he rolled up the scroll. There in front of God and everybody, he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The wilderness happened between Jesus' baptism and the launch of his earthly public ministry, testing, temptation, for every follower of Jesus Christ, calling will always be contested. I guarantee. Many people think about calling as our life's work. It's the activity that flows from within us. It's what we get paid to do. But calling is deeper than that. Calling is rich with covenantal history. It has to do with naming you and me. When I was a teenager, I worked summers at Aldean High School in the print shop where we printed worksheets for teachers to use in their classroom during the school year. It was hot and laborious work. And on break time, we would go into the teacher's workroom because you couldn't go in there during the school year. But when teachers were off, you could. And one time we were in that workroom and the head janitor was on the phone and he didn't like what he was hearing on the other end of the line. And as he grew more and more frustrated with that phone call, his voice got louder and his higher pitched voice got higher pitched. And finally he said, and I ain't no ma'am and slammed the phone down. Now, I don't know what was going on the other end, but they had his reason for calling and his identity, his gender, his name even, all wrong. Clearly, if I were to call you, I might say, hello, Natalie. And that call is rooted in 360 degrees of history and relationship and experience. When God calls us, it's the same. He knows your name, doesn't get it wrong, knows everything about us, even gives us a new name, shoring up our identity in him. From the beginning of time, God named Adam. Abram, he called Abraham. Jacob, he called Israel and a people, a nation was born. Simon, he called Peter. And the church was born. And when he looked at you and called you, Mark, you are now Christian. Because when he looks at us, he sees his very own self. Your calling is not some separate idea that you just live and move and have your being in this world and there's happiness that comes from that. Our calling is about living into all that God has created us to be and do, and that will benefit core worship, Marvin Church, Tyler, Texas, Smith County, even and especially the world. The story of Jesus in the wilderness is about calling. 
yours, mine, and most importantly, ours, because we are the body of Christ, his presence in this world. And so, next question, what happens in the wilderness? Our call is tested in the wilderness. Here's the deal. Jesus was full of the Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. He was full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, not acting on his own. Jesus was God's agent. It was under God's leadership that Jesus went where he did, his relational identity being threatened by the enemy. The Spirit led Jesus after his baptism into this place. The wilderness is the environment in which our call matters because that's where our call really matures. That's what happens. Oftentimes we experience testing and temptation when we are alone. And the wilderness is those places and times maybe where we are alone. And so much of life happens. God's people are broken and built up by what happens in the wilderness. And this maturation process is a result of our being tested and our being tempted. When I was in college, I had a professor who loved to give bonus questions on exams. And if you got all the questions, there was extra credit to be had. He was also big about following instructions. And on one occasion, the instructions of the test said, do not answer any of the bonus questions. If you do, they will be counted against you. If you don't, you'll get credit extra for each and every one. Did I read the instructions? No. Was my faith tested? A little bit. I still passed the class. And that's the point of our being tested. When we're tested in school, it's for our own good, to prove our understanding, to show what we've learned or that we've made progress. And it is the same in life. When we are tested, it's proof of how much we know up here and here. And when the enemy tempts us, he's trying to distract us, throw us out of balance, even take us out. But God won't let us be tempted beyond what we can handle. And God will always provide a way out so that we can endure that temptation. He's that good. One of the ways he's provided for us is Scripture. So it's important for us to know Scripture. And another way he's provided for us is the Spirit, God's presence within us. That's why it's so important for us to be rooted and grounded in Scripture and connected to God by the power of the Holy Spirit so that when we are in the wilderness and the enemy comes and he will come, we can go toe-to-toe relying not on our own strength but on God's. These trials for the testing of our faith will come so that our faith might be proved genuine. There is a refining work that God wants to do, and in the end, it brings clarity of purpose 
Individually, yes. Corporately, absolutely. The wilderness is where our call is tested. And as we come through that test, we discover who we are, whose we are, and who we're called to be, how we're called to live our lives. So Lord, clarify our call, each one of us. Confirm our call. Teach us your way through the suffering, through these challenges, through the temptation, because that's what happens in the wilderness. It's coming for us. What happens after the wilderness? One of two things, because the wilderness is wild, and there is the potential that we'll fall flat on our face. We are called by God, led by the Spirit. We encounter the enemy, and we might not win every battle, especially the ones that go on up here. And if we stumble and fall, we get back up. And if you stumble and fall, you get back up. Just like any child learning to walk, your parent, God willing, doesn't mock, doesn't say, you fool, what? They scoop them up in their arms. They help them back on their way, taking the next step so that they experience success our God works the same with us. When we stumble and fall, he helps us get back up. Failure in the wilderness is just a moment in time. It does not define you. That's not who you are. We might fail the test. We might get lost, might lose heart. But those things do not define us. And through it all, we're learning how to respond to God how to resist the enemy, and how to live in a more fuller expression of our calling. And that gets us to the really great news because Christ lives inside of you and me, those who claim his name. And since that's true, there's a very real possibility that we might come through the wilderness triumphant, stronger than when we first went in, with greater clarity, greater conviction about our call. That was true of Jesus. And that's what it means that he came in human flesh to experience temptation, to resist sin. And if there was not the propensity for Jesus to fail, to give in to temptation, then he would not really be relatable to us at all. But Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. And yet he did not sin. He came through the wilderness, was tested, his calling contested, his purpose fought for. The Spirit was behind that, in fact, in front of him, leading him into it and out of it. What happens in the wilderness? What happens after the wilderness? The gospel. The gospel happens. When the time was right, God stepped down out of heaven and the person and work of Jesus lived and died, was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven and when he did, because he did, he went from being someone on the outside of us to the one who lives inside of those who claim his name, Jesus. That's what happened after the wilderness and the best part of the gospel is the rest of the gospel. The gospel changed everything. It changes everything and God has called us to be a part of salvation history, even as he is writing it here in the year 2023. Not just me, not just you, 
but us. That has deep and profound meaning for the world we scatter into. So if you feel like you are all alone in the wilderness, that may not be a bad thing. I think God would have us hear these words. Let me do it. Let me get out in front and lead you into the wilderness so that I might lead you through it and out of it. Church, the enemy is real, but sometimes I think we give him more credit than he deserves. There is not a demon behind every bush. And if a 21-year-old college student fails to read the instructions, I think it says more about the prefrontal cortex not being fully developed until they're age 25. But the enemy is real, and we will experience resistance because God has called you and me to gather and scatter, to gather and scatter, being the faithful presence of love in all the dark places that we go. There is a wilderness that you and I, that we will experience. But gospel is on the other side. And it's for each and every one of us. So this morning, I want to remind you of two things. First and foremost, you've got to know that God loves you. That he sees you. You are an image bearer of God designed and created for so much more. And your work is a part of it, but that's not the point of it. We are called to be the faithful presence of love in all the places that we go, and we can only be that if we receive that God's love. And so maybe this morning you need to receive the love of God, the Father who's with you, he is for you, he is in you. And there's so much more. Second thing that I would have you do this morning is to receive these words as I speak them over you. Because we are in a journey, on a journey in the wilderness during this season of Lent. So I want to invite you to Find a posture of receiving, and maybe that means closing your eyes as I speak these words over you. The Spirit of the Lord is on us because he has anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent us to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Church, today this scripture is fulfilled in our hearing. May it be so.